0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hello, boils and ghouls, creeps and titties. It's your old pal, the Crip Keeper. Tonight's tale of terror comes from the Trick or Treaters podcast. Join them as they journey into the horrifying. You are listening to the Trick or Treaters Podcast, part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. Movie reviews, horror news, and all the gory details. Listen if you dare.
0: And hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of the Trick or Treaters Podcast. I am your host, Kyle, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, JR. How are you doing today, man?
1: As we're recording on Saturday, November 7th at 11.34 Pacific Time, 1.34 Central Time, it is a wonderful day. The uh, weather's changing where I live. Today, we finally got our first bit of rain in my area, which is extremely important because um, there has been some bad wildfires in the last three or four months, and um, I think finally they're starting to get containment over it, and they're almost all gone. But uh, also where I live as a very agriculture community. And if we have a dry season, that is extremely bad for the economy and the farmers in our area. So, um, and plus I love this type of weather. It's pretty good day today. Uh, also, if you're a AEW fan tonight, we have a,
0: uh, the pay-per-view full gear to look forward to. I'm pretty excited about that. And then after that, I'll be going on our friend's Scream Queens uh, podcast to rank the Friday the 13th movies. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. It, it sounds like it's going to be a fun night.
1: Yeah, you know one of the things um, I was thinking about Friday the 13th because obviously this episode we're doing is, is on Friday the 13th. I guess, and this is just my personal preference, that Friday the 13th I feel like got better yeah. as each sequel occurred. Or I shouldn't say better. I would say I found them more enjoyable because, you know, I think enjoyable is is a better as an opinion is better thing to say than say better. And that's very weird, though, because I think when you look at movie sequels, especially in the horror genre, that sequels get better or become more enjoyable. I mean, we one of the things when I was with the Scream Queens, um, when we did the Halloween ranking. You know, I enjoyed. I love the first Halloween. You know, 1978. The second one was good, not as good as the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, to me, the third one doesn't exist in my realm. The fourth one was good, um, not as good as the first one, and I think it's somewhat on par with the second one. The fifth one was not good. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 kind of really bad. The sixth one, it was similar h2o i mean it's just there's a lot of hit and misses but with you look at friday 13th like i i enjoyed the second one a little bit more than the first one i thought the third one was was good i mean and for me what we're talking about today is like this is to me where i feel like i enjoyed it the most when we talk about uh the new blood i thought jason takes Manhattan was i don't know if hilarious is good but i really did like you know a lot of the scenes in and jason takes Manhattan. um I thought Jason Goes to Hell, as crazy and insane as that movie is, I thought it was. I I I am able to sit down and enjoy that movie. I always make the reference, and when you're on the, Friday when you're doing Scream Queens, tell uh, tell the girl they said this. I always laugh in the scene of Jason Goes to Hell when the corner eats the heart, because I always say like it's no big deal. I've eaten heart before because the way I grew up in our you know in my family you know we. We raise livestock. We've raised goats, you know, sheep, pigs, rabbits. There's been a few times like this was before when I was born, but my parents, they were gifted a calf for their wedding. And that's what was used for the food for their wedding. You know, my, my parents, both of them grew up extremely poor. And that's what that's what you did was you grew your own crops and you raised your own livestock because that was that's the food for the family, especially when it came to me. So like it's not out of the realm for us to. I mean, I don't do it often, but eating things like liver, kidneys, heart, lung, it happens. I mean, there is a situation, and I know we're getting far too far into the weeds, but when I was in high school, my grandfather uh, passed away, and on that, he passed away on a Tuesday morning. That day, one of our cousins got over uh, a goat. And we had to, you know, we, we had to slaughter it because as we were doing, you know, after the funeral, we essentially have a, a reception and and we had to feed everybody. And that's what we fed everybody. And I was a part, you know, in my sense of mourning, one of the things I had to do was I had to be there and help, you know, with the slaughtering of the goat. And there was a situation where um, there's... For those of you who've never, you know, and I, I, it's not something that, I I don't know if it's, I'm not proud about it, but it's, again, it's stuff that it's part of our culture and our family. There's a way to, you know, humanely kill an animal, especially something like a goat. And you literally, you take a, a sharp, sharp knife, you puncture through the aorta, and they bleed to death very quickly. What you don't do is what you see in horror movies and that you slit a throat because that is a very horrible way to, hum- you don't, that's not a humane way to kill an animal. And, um, well, unfortunately one of the cousins didn't know what he was doing and he slit the goat's throat and it was slowly beating and they thought it was a good idea. Well, like, well, let's, you know, let's help by pushing on the stomach. When they did that, I was collecting the blood of the goat and the goat bl- the gloat's blood from the neck sprayed out and literally covered my entire face. Like I was in the fucking descent. Like, Oh, wow. (laughs) So I I know I went far to the weeds. I, you know, I didn't even, I mean, literally I didn't flinch. Like I didn't, cause it was such a shock, but that's my story. So I always kind of find a kick when, and I know this is about, you know, Jason goes to hell when the doctor in the corner eats the heart, but I'm just like, it's no big deal. We, we eat hearts in our family anyways. Yeah, my
0: thing with Jason Goes to Hell is a lot different than yours. Like, as a Friday fan, and a, a, a lot of other fans of the franchise feel the same way. But you know, there's also some that that do really enjoy this one, and you know, there's no Dock on them uh, for enjoying. It. Enjoy what you like, as Dan Santa Carla says. To me, though, like Jason Goes to Hell is the equivalent of Halloween Three to me of the franchise. It it, it pretty much doesn't exist. I tried every now and then I I, I might try and watch it to give it another chance, but like, it's really hard to get through (laughs) and it's not one. I enjoy
1: at all. I mean, it is a bad, like, you know, as far as it is a horrible film. I mean, the fact is, and I think you may have pointed out to me, Jason's, I mean, in that film. Yeah.
0: He gets killed by the first five minutes.
1: (laughs) And so he doesn't come back till the very end of the film. So essentially I know it's kind of like the essence of Jason, you know, and Jason goes to hell. But I mean, it's a very weird film and I can com- and I completely understand as somebody, you know, you as I say, you are a Jason guy. You know, that's not a Friday the 13th film like that's that's some yeah. weird spinoff. I mean, just as the same way as Jason X, you know, that's another that's another weird spinoff.
0: Yeah, Which I can find enjoyment in Jason X.
1: Yeah, you know there's there's a lot of cool things I think with Jason X. You know, such as like the nanobytes You know, he he becoming. I, I don't think I'm saying the the right term. You know, they, I do. They call him Super Jason.
0: Uber Jason.
1: Uber Jason. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's some crazy parts in that. You know, I know he lands on the Earth too. It's very far fetched, but at the same time, you know, they said it in I think what the year 2100 or 2200. So. We're all yep. gonna be we're all gonna be dead by then, and so who knows? This probably would happen, you know, that we have some other world. Before we get into the
0: review, a little bit of horror news. It's been kind of a of a slow news week this week in horror. Uh, there hadn't been too much come out. One thing though, for any fans of the Friday the Thirteenth video game, it was announced a couple of days ago that dedicated servers for the game were going to be decommissioned in the upcoming patch. Pretty much that means that once that happens, the servers will go back to uh, database servers and be peer-to-peer. You can still play quick play and private matches and stuff. It's just not the same. It, it won't. It won't. It really won't be to me as good as it as it was. And unfortunately, that also means that, from my understanding, I think like the, like this upcoming patch is the final patch, and then like this is it. Like whatever is in the game is is in the game. They are being kind and keeping double XP, CP, and, and the, the Pamela tape drop uh, rates that they put in the pandemic when the pandemic started. They like upped a double XP and CP and tape drop rates. They're keeping those active indefinitely and everything. Unfortunately, like a lot of people see this as pretty much being the end of this game. A lot of us really can't help but think this is partly probably due to the lawsuit. will probably place the blame on Sean Cunningham on this part. I don't know if you ever played the Friday Thirteenth game, Jr. But uh, I played it for a few years. It was really fun. I have a lot of I, a, a lot of great memories with it. I I'll
1: be honest and um, I'm not a gamer. Like I suck yeah. at video games. I literally play uh, NFL Madden every year. That's the like literally the only game I played. I stopped playing uh, as everybody knows we're wrestling fans. I stopped buying the WWE 2K games because each year it got worse and worse. Yeah. Um, so anything that's like call of duty or i, I know the game you are talking about particularly because i did i have seen gameplay of it the gameplay is very interesting i also say like i don't know if i would say the the moves or some of his powers he has is crazy you know i've seen some things where like he literally can go from one section to another in about three seconds um i've seen some people you know some ways some people have been able to like hide it's just a lot of the characters from the in it so it seems like a very interesting game it to me is also ranks up there with what's the other um video game that has the horror characters in it uh dead by daylight yeah so like those like i mean i think they're great concept especially if you you know if you're fans of horror like us i i just suck at them and you know for those who love playing it i i feel bad for them because that's the last thing you'd want to you know hear is because there's some games you know like the game i play has no you know like madden doesn't have a lot of gameplay after one year you know because they come out with another one and some some games don't have you know you know replay value that's a game i would say has a very strong replay value and you would want to play over and over again so you could potentially get a lot of years out of it i know like for example um, i have some friends in the video game industry you know they have tons of servers for call of duty like you know even though You know, there's older versions of Call of Duty that still have servers up because people love the replay value of it. So uh, hopefully there's, you know, they can find something, you know, something else to do. Uh, Another, you know, hopefully another video game, I mean, comes out that, you know, has some of the equal play value for them. If I'm not mistaken, I
0: believe our friends Dead in Santa Carla, Brian and Andy actually met through playing online on Friday the 13th. I'm hoping, you know, maybe... Once this lawsuit is over, whenever that is, that we can get another Friday 13th game just as good, if not better, than this.
1: I'll just say this on a completely different note. I was looking into next year, and as we know, Hollywood in general has come to a complete standstill because of the COVID pandemic. And a lot of the movies, I would say horror movies like Halloween Kills and Candyman and, you know, there's obviously other big films like Wonder Woman. A lot of people are waiting for these films to drop. And for it to be pushed back a year, you know, it's a long time. One of the things is we don't know what this pandemic has. And I know a lot of people have different opinions. I'm not talking and I don't want to get into that. But one thing is for sure is that movie theaters are shut down across the country and internationally. And, you know, in my area, there's only one movie theater that's up. And because there's no movies are showing older movies, you know, on, on in October, which was only, you know, seven, eight days ago. They were showing Hocus Pocus and remember Before Christmas. And I know Hollywood movies, you know, with how much money they put into blockbuster films, they want a big return. And so um, I know sometimes from what I've read, Hollywood f- studios would release a film that they knowingly know would probably not do well. But, you know, it's, it's a tax write-off for, because of loss. And this year, they're taking deep losses. And because of tax write-offs and because of... I'm sure they may have, you know, savings liquidity that they're, they're willing to eat it. I'm not sure if that's going to continue on through 2021. And I think maybe, you know, once we get to 2021, if it's February or March and movie theaters are still not open, they may start releasing a lot of these films or start planning to release these films on, on demand services. And especially if you see what uh, Disney plus did with Mulan, I think it's potentially a viable thing. Now, does that suck? Absolutely. It sucks for a lot of people who enjoy movie theaters. I know you and I have talked about it. Cece has talked about, you know, my opinions on movie theaters and people, when people I have a movie etiquette, but I'm not normal. I'm in the minority and most people don't think like me and please don't think like me because I'm not normal, as I just said. Um, but, you know, it is, I think it's one of the things I have to talk about because I don't want to wait another year to see Halloween Kills. So if we're getting into it and they're like, hey, you know, we may not be able to, you know, show this movie um as well as some other movies, I'm like, dude, I would literally pay 30, 40 shit, you know, maybe even fifty dollars to see a film early. I want to keep the film, I don't want to pay a 30 forty dollar rental fee, but I would but I would do it if you allow me to keep the film because I want to see it. I'm an impatient person. I feel like I've already waited over a year to see Halloween Kill, or at this point, you know, two years to see Halloween Kills. And now it's gonna go three years and I don't want to wait longer. So I think that's one thing you know that to be on the lookout for is as we get through 2021, if we're still in a situation and movie theaters are not allowed to open up or can't open up, or movie studios won't release in the movie theaters, that we may start looking at movies releasing on you know on-demand services like Vudu or Amazon Prime. I mean, I hate to say it because you know, I love movie theaters, but
0: you know, hopefully, be the thing that ends up becoming the
1: Alternatives to, to movie theaters for a lot of people. I don't know if it's fun to speculate this issue because of you know, we all we all love movies, you know, it, whether it's horror or, or action or comedy. One of the things that people saw in the previous recession in 2008 was while tickets and sales for amusement parks like Disneyland, Disney World, amusement parks like Six Flags, you know, they saw you know, less people attending. Um, those places because obviously if we're in recession, people don't have money, you know, they can't afford to go to places like that. But movie uh, people attending movie theaters and tickets to those movie theaters were up. And that's because obviously it's a lot cheaper than going to Disneyland. But people find an escape in movie theaters in movies for two, you know, whether it's a ninety minute movie or a three hour movie. And for that period of time, they're able to escape their problems that they deal with in the world, whether it be, you know, illness, whether it was a recession, whether it be, you know, problems at home, you know, and that's one of the things for me, like I love entertainment, especially movies, because if you can make me cry, if you can make me laugh, if you can make me excited, I forget about any issues I was going through, especially when I was in college. Like I remember, you know, I remember celebrating, you know, the ending of a, of a semester of a quarter that I uh, when I was on the quarter system to go see American gangster. And it was just like, I was like, it, to me, that was like a great thing. I remember in the middle of, of my first semester, my first uh, term in college, they did a special showing of the original Halloween in the movie theater. And for that period of time that I was in that movie theater for, you know, for the length of the, the movie, I forgot about, Assignments. I forgot about, you know, having to do homework and I forgot about, you know, issues going on because I was a bro college student. But, you know, for that period of time, I was excited to see this movie. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to see anything bad happen to entertainment because it's it is a positive outlet for all of us.
0: I remember in, in college, in between classes, there was one semester where I had like three hour ish block from maybe between my morning class and my afternoon class. I didn't, I didn't have work that day, so I had nothing to do. So I remember just one day I just decided to go see a matinee at the, at the movie theater, and I just enjoyed it, and I ended up making it my, like, uh, weekly thing. I would try and go see a movie. kind of always had been something that I've always really enjoyed doing. Hopefully, once all this is over, if movie theaters, you know, are still around, which I'm hoping that, you know, that they will be, I really can't wait to go back to a movie theater. Exactly. Let's go ahead and get into the uh, meat and bones of the episode. We are talking about one of my favorite movies and my favorite movie in the Friday the 13th franchise, Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood, which some people call it Jason versus Carrie. It's funny, too, because like uh, originally this was supposed to be a crossover with Freddy They were in negotiations with New Line to do the crossover film because everybody's been wanting, you know, Jason versus Freddy forever, and they were finally going to do it. But negotiations fell through, so then they ended up just doing this instead. One of the original scripts for this, it wasn't Jason versus Carrie. There was actually a a script where it kind of took, like, inspiration from Jaws, uh, where they wanted it to be about how land developers building condos uh, on Crystal Lake to sell, but then they're also covering up Jason's murders to try and make a profit.
1: That'd be an interesting concept to see. Man, that, oh my God, that, like, in some ways, the one thing, the first thing that comes to my head, and this is a very poor example because I know that there's a better one, but I think of in Halloween 6, the Curse of Michael Myers was, you know, they had Strode reality and essentially, I think the, the premise was that. You know, Laurie Strode's uncle, you know, moved into the house that was the Myers house, and you know, didn't say anything. You know, I know that's one of the things where they talk about. I, I feel like um, in Pet Cemetery that it was, if, if I'm not mistaken, was it that it was built on an Indian burial ground? Yeah. You know, that's I start thinking. So those are some things I think about, and I definitely, you know, see a situation where that that would be a very just in general if you start looking at the future of the franchise if you say, hey, we're going to make another Friday 13th, and it's like, oh, we're going to sell this lakefront property, but we're hiding the secret, then all of a sudden, you know, Jason starts stalking homeowners, and, you know, and teenagers in this, you know, in the surrounding areas. I, I think that's a very intriguing storyline, and I think could definitely sell, especially if you do a right casting.
0: Yeah, once I read that, I was like, man, I, I kind of wish somebody would make like a fan film with that script, but I, I think it's a good idea. Speaking of casting, uh, so th- this was the very first movie with Kane Hodder as Jason, and originally they thought C.J. Graham was going to reprise his role, and uh, all all Friday fans know that C.J. Graham was he played Jason in uh, Part Six, Jason Lives, and you know he he's one of the one of the most beloved Jason actors in the franchise. Well, he was wanting to reprise his role in this, but the director decided to cast Kane Hodder who was just a stuntman because he saw Kane Hodder did a movie called Prison. And during the movie, there's a part where he plays a zombie emerging from the ground. And in that scene, Hodder volunteered to film the scene with live maggots and worms in his mouth. And so that's what ultimately decided him to cast Kane Hodder as Jason.
1: That's pretty hardcore, man. Hodder's that- a pretty hardcore actor. That w- that also reminds me because I saw it um, and uh, I really like watching a lot of the dead meat. And so I like a lot of the stuff he does. And that was one thing he had talked about in I think it was the movie that Snoop Dogg did Bones. Yeah, they had used a uh, real maggots. Um, I think of obviously as wrestling fans, we think of the situation with the boogeyman. They use live worms. And um, I think you get like it's and as I said earlier, as we go through this whole thing, I talked about getting like, you know, goat's blood on my face. I really don't want maggots or bugs being around my face. I think about when Joe Rogan used to do Fear Factor and they used to do a lot of the shows like that. Yeah, that's yeah. No bueno. I don't want to do anything like that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I wouldn't want to do that either. <laughs> but, you know, all respect for those who can. Another funny casting story So the fake title of the movie was Birthday Bash. Actress Carrie Noonan, who played Pauline, who was a character who got killed in part six, Jason Lives, she got talked into trying out an audition for the lead role in Birthday Bash for the lead role of Tina. And it wasn't until she got to the audition that she realized it was a Friday the 13th film that she and it was a direct sequel to the one she died in that she, you know, basically had to tell him hey I was in the last one so yeah I can't do that <laughs> of course the the role of Tina ended up going to Park Lincoln like I said before we're talking about Friday 13th part 7 the new blood so with that being said Carmen hit the trailer this is the one you've been waiting for what's happening to me your psychokinesis and these
1: delusions are the one
0: you've been asking for. Hey, Tina,
1: isn't this the way they weather jackets back in the mental hospital? Concentrate. Concentrate, Tina! The one you've been dying for. You people give me the creeps. Okay, you big hunk of a man, come and get me.
0: Jason is back. This time, someone is waiting. the 13th part seven, the new blood opening Friday, May 13th, the deadliest day of the year.
1: There goes the neighborhood.
0: All right. This movie was directed by John Carwell Bueller. It was released on May 13th, 1988 by Paramount pictures. It was distributed by them and the budget had a budget of $2.8 million. And it made 19.1 million in the, in the box office. If any people listening are friends with me on social media on just about all my social media, my profile picture, my current profile picture I have is me on a dock at the lake they filmed this movie at. I was able to visit the filming location for this early this year when I went on a vacation with my family. This movie was filmed in a haven at Alabama. It was just like an hour drive away from where we was at. So, of course, I took a day off and told on my family. While well, I was there, that hey, at this day I'm not available, and I drove out there and I pretty much spent the day at Camp Crystal Lake and yeah. I had a blast. It looks a lot different. It obviously doesn't look anywhere near what it looks like in the movie because this is like this, you know, this was you know, this was filmed in the 80s, and I went you know in 2020. A dock isn't there. They, they built like a little a small dock. It, it's brand new. It's there, but. uh, like, of course, none of, none of the cabins are there. Most of them were just made for the movie. Uh, the cabin that's blown up at the end of the movie was actually really blown up. Like, they really did blow up a cabin during this movie. It wasn't, like, any kind of special effects. Where the dock is, there is a tree that's still standing there where Jason does kill somebody, near, And so, like, I saw that, and I instantly looked at the video, and I was like, yeah, that's the tree. And I'm just over there, like... You know, all excited. And it was funny because, like, there was people there at the dock, obviously, and they are in boats. And, you know, most of these people, I don't think they even know that this movie was filmed in because, like, there's – unless you you know that it's there, you wouldn't know it because there's no signs. Hardly anything looks the same. And uh, it's like you know, they're all just sitting there having a day on the lake, and I'm out here you know, taking pictures and sticking my hand in the water and just all smiles and giggles over being at the filming location for my favorite, my my favorite Friday movie.
1: I like how the beginning of this film is essentially, I don't want to say picking up where part six left off, but essentially there's like, there's continuity. And that's one of the things I love about like films is continuity, like maintaining that continuity. Um, And I think a lot of times in the horror genre, there's some continuity that's lost. And I really, I really dig how this film began uh, with Tina. Yeah. And like
0: what JR is talking about is at the beginning of the movie, they they show footage from like part two, part three, uh, part four, and then part six. And like they're showing the events of it. And what's interesting is that. During this show in the footage of all these past of all these uh, past films, it's actually narrated by the same actor who played Crazy Ralph. So I thought that was pretty awesome how they got him to do that part. This is actually the final movie uh, in the franchise that actually that
1: shows like past footage from the other movies. Real quick, if we just take a quick step back to part six, at the end of part six, Tommy gets into a boat. Um, inside of the lake, and he has a boulder, and he literally basically ties a boulder with a chain, a chain attached to a boulder, and he ties it around Jason's neck, and he throws it into the, you know, the bottom of Crank Kissel Lake, and that's where Jason, essentially, that's how it it's over at the end of Part 6, and when we begin Part 7 and we see Jason, that's exactly where he's at. And I think it's, like, continuity errors, even though, like, it does have continuity, but it makes, but it doesn't make any sense is, when you look at, for example, one of my favorite, you know, obviously Michael Myers, in H2O, we see, like, you know, Michael get his head cut off, and then we go to Resurrection, and it's like, okay, well, what happened? Well, this is what happened, like, you know, he switched bodies and this and that, and it's just like, it doesn't make sense. Like, there's no time. Like, there's, there's no time to work out. And when we see with parts in Friday the 13th, like, Jason is still at the bottom of the ocean, and obviously, like, you know, we're getting to in this film was we'll talk about you know um telekinesis or telekinetic powers tina you know basically frees jason who's still at the bottom of the ocean a bottom of carcass lake excuse me i just thought that that's like a really cool thing and you and you see that as we go kind of from film to film in so in, in the in the in friday 13th films Speaking of the continuity of it, whenever Jason finally does appear in this movie,
0: he does have like a lot of like battle scars. I like that they added that, as, that in there as
1: well. So, so let me ask you that question real quick, though. So like, obviously, we know Friday the 13th part one is that supposedly Jason drowns and his mom, if I'm not mistaken, Pamela, Pamela Voorhees.
0: Yeah, Pamela
1: yeah. is the killer part one. And then part two starts, and, you know, Jason is essentially, you know, a grown man, um, which tells me that he survived, you know, he didn't drown, and he becomes a killer. And, you know, essentially, I think beginning with part six, Jason is a corpse, and he comes back to life because of a lightning bolt. So is he, so he's no longer a man, is he he more like, I think, you know, one of the terms that, they talked about in one of the crossover uh graphic novels i read um with F- freddie versus jason versus ash so he's like essentially a zombie slash deadite
0: yeah part four he he, he
1: actually dies, which
0: i don't know it, it's an ongoing like it's a long debate on whether Jason died in part one or, uh, or if he didn't drown and survived and ended up living off the land. And, and I tell you, he, he's in part two. It's an, it's an ongoing de- debate between uh, fans between that. A lot. There's a lot of, some people, some people think, yeah, yeah he obviously he survived for that. And there are some people that, that you know, disregard that uh, altogether. Uh, also Tom Savini, he doesn't like the fact that Jason survived. He actually, like, only only did part four, did the stuff on part four because they were killing Jason. Yeah, like, part four kills Jason as a man, and then part six is the birth of undead Jason.
1: You know, that's one of the things where, and as we're getting into parts, obviously now Fast Track to part seven, is as each film progresses, he becomes more and more zombie-like in the sense of, I mean, his, I think... If it's not I think it's this film, but you can really see like almost like his his whole spinal column,
0: yeah, it's this one,
1: and so it's like i mean that that's like the one thing like i I and, I and this one as you had already said as we in our last episode, and I said to, i think this this is my favorite Friday the thirteenth because to me Jason meets his match as far as somebody who can match, a, you know, match him power for power in a sense where Jason's this, you know, inhuman with, you know, with superhuman strength and Tina, you know, has her, you know, telekinetic powers, you know, we finally, you know, that's what makes this film so intriguing for me um, with the protagonist versus the antagonist. Uh, but yeah, that's, um it, to me, it's, I hate saying the term believable versus unbelievable because obviously, like, i mean it's a horror film and we're talking about Kinetic and zombies and stuff like that but um i think that's one of the reasons you know that's the only thing that's just kind of weird is because you know he's this he's falling apart like in each movie like his his body is literally falling apart and he still somehow is able to keep you know survive yeah yeah jason he he survived
0: pretty much everything it's it's insane. So after uh, that opening, get you know, all the events of the previous movies up to this one. We see a little girl who we know as Tina. She witnesses her dad, who's, who's an alcoholic, being abusive toward her mother. So she runs out of her home and she jumps in a little wooden boat and she like you know starts rowing out. And her her dad runs out and he's on like this little dot thing. And you know he, he tells her, "Hey, wait! You know I I didn't mean it," and to stop. And Tina tells him to leave her alone that uh, uh, she she wished he was dead. And we see the first bit of Tina's telekinetic abilities. Uh, She ends up accidentally uh, destroying the dock that her her dad's on, and it causes him to kind of fall into the lake. The dock falls down onto it as well. And so this causes him to kind of be stuck at the bottom of the lake, and he ends up drowning and, and dying. So then we flash forward to years later, and we see Tina. Riding in the car with, with her mom, and you can tell, you know, she, you know, she, she feels a lot of remorse about about her dad, and, and I'm, a, you know, I, I'm pretty sure she blames herself for it. Her mom is is taking her back to the same lake house that we saw at the beginning, where her dad died, as part of like a treatment from this psychiatrist named Doctor Cruz. Cruz is wanting to do like a series of like experiments on her which ends up being, like, more verbal assaults uh, designated to kind of agitate her mental state and try to force her powers to come out. But in reality, though, he's not actually interested in helping Tina at all. He's just wanting to exploit her her powers. They have a session, and it upsets Tina. She runs out onto the lake, and she starts thinking about her dad's death. And while thinking about him, she kind of wishes he would, uh, he would come back. Which unknowingly she's using her powers, and it ends up awakening Jason, who's at the bottom of the lake. As Jr. said from previous, from what we saw at the end of part six, he's at the bottom of the lake and he has a chain around him. Well, he he snaps awake and he breaks the chain, and then he emerges from the water. Well, Tina doesn't know what's going on. She don't know. She doesn't know anything about Jason, and she ends up just kind of passing out. I love this scene of Jason coming out of the lake because we see Jason, but we see, like, the back of Jason, and you can see his spinal cord and just, like, you know, most of his flesh all ripped up and stuff, and you you see, like, this perfect shot of his spinal cord as he's coming out of the lake.
1: Yeah, I mean, and one of the things is with this, you know, with this scene— we're we're basically starting to get some, you know, a lot of foreshadowing in these first two scenes with, you know, Tina and essentially, I would say, killing her father, and then awakening Jason. Like that, Tina is extremely powerful, and you know, I think with the way that this 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 particular scene ends, is like we're going to see an interesting dynamic between these two characters of Jason, the antagonist, the unstoppable killing machine, versus Tina, our protagonist, our our, um, our final girl who is, you know, that is going to match him, as I mentioned earlier, Power for Power. And it's going to be, I think, a very interesting uh, an interesting ride as we get through this film um, for anybody who, hopefully, as we always say, hopefully you've seen the film before you hear the review, but it's definitely going to take a lot of twists and turns. But I think this is, like, this right here is why I, I love this film because of this dynamic these two characters have.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with you there. Besides like, you know, I'm a big Kane Hodder fan. This is his first one. I think a lot of it has to do with Tina. Tina's my favorite final girl in the Friday 13th franchise. I think she's severely underrated too. Cause so like you know, a lot of people, when they think of final girls, Friday 13th uh, franchise movies, they think of different, of, of different ones. And Tina is often overlooked. But I feel like she's like the best one just because she went toe to toe with Jason Voorhees. So after Tina passes out and everything, we end up seeing that there is a a party going on at the residence that's like literally like right next door, and it's these group of teens and they're throwing a birthday party for their friend. The group includes pretty much your cliche teenagers in a horror movie, but the, their names are Michael. There's Nick, Russell, Sandra, Ben. Kate, Betty, David, Robin, Maddie, and Melissa. Nick has become, like, attracted to Tina, which makes Melissa, you know, kind of kind of pissy because uh, Melissa likes Nick. Well, Melissa attempts to break up Nick and Tina, and she even tries to kind of make Nick jealous by, like, kissing Eddie. It doesn't really work for her other than pissing off uh pissing off 80 towards her Tina tells Nick about Jason and she has a vision of him murdering Michael when in reality there's actually another couple uh Michael and Jane who are camping in the woods Jason actually does kill uh, Michael he like punches him like in the back, like and his, his hand like comes st- straight out of his chest then when he falls on the ground he gets this really cool scene of jason's hand coming
1: out of his bag. the ways that jason kills people with the exception of the um, the sleeping bag scene you know which is amazing but even then like it's not a, they're not sophisticated kills they're just like they're just brutal it's either his machete or his bare hands like it's pretty much it and but the way that they they, they do the death scenes with this blunt force, you know, blunt force uh, power that Jason has, I think is it's always intriguing on how they do it. Jane's stabbed through her um, in the neck with a tent spike. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Michael is uh, stabbed in the back with another tent spike. Dan is punched through the back and then his neck's broken. And then we get to the next death. We see her name's Judy. And the I think, if I probably speak with everybody on this one, the most iconic kill of the entire Friday the 13th franchise is the slammed against a tree with the sleeping bag.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. This is definitely
1: one of the, one of the best kills in the
0: franchise. And if I'm not mistaken, is Kane Hodder's favorite kill as well.
1: Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the way that it's done essentially after Jason's killed these other people already that he literally cuts, you know, Judy is essentially scary in the sleeping bag jason cuts through the tent with his machete and he just reaches out and grabs the you know grab a sleeping bag and he's i mean he literally imagine grabbing you know even if this person and let's say this woman's 125 pounds go to your local walmart pick up a bag of dog food and try to slam it again you know just grabbing it so this way it's one as i mentioned earlier the blunt force you know power that jason has i think always makes the kills intriguing and this is why it's always a favorite, because it literally just picks a sleeping bag with two hands and swings it around like it's a potato sack against a tree. And um, it's very brutal. And it's one of those things where I think if you if you are, are writing a script and as far as horror, and you're looking at potentially, you know, killing, you know, killing a, a character in your film. This is something I don't think anybody would potentially imagine like, oh, this just, you know, they would do a normal let's, you know, the stab them or, you know, we're going to, you know, potentially, you know, break their neck or something like that. I just think it was the way it was done and the creativity behind it, I think, is really cool. I agree with you there
0: that the, the sleeping bag kill is definitely a favorite of mine is it's one that you always when you think of uh, favorite kills in horror, it, it definitely makes a lot of lists. After he kills Judy and Dan, uh, that's the two campers he killed there. Judy was the one he killed with the living bag. Dan had a machete, and he ends up picking up Dan's machete. Russell and Sandra are off at the lake, and uh, Jason ends up killing them as well. While Sandra's in the water, not really paying attention, uh, Jason hits Russell with a machete, and he does this really cool, like, it was like upwards thrust at, at his face. And unfortunately unfortunately uh, it cuts right before you get to the kill. So you don't get to see like the actual gore of this, of the uh, of the kill until you see Sandra look over and see him laying there. And then you can, you can kind of see it a little bit because uh, th- this one is, is like one of the most edited Friday 13th movies. Like a lot of the gore was cut out in order to like avo- avoid like an X rating
1: yeah, I mean, the, the the kill. you don't even see the kill um, when he kills Russell. You see the back of Russell, and you see his head snap back as Jason thrusts an axe. And then um, where well, you see then um, the character, and I forget her name, she's in the pool skinny dipping. And she looks over, and you see basically, you know, which probably is a prosthetic, but um, an axe hole in the person's face and it's not even really a hole it's just you just see him dead with just like a looks like a triangle actually on from between his mouth and his nose that's a red gash as from this point um sandra that's her name sandra and she's skinny dipping and she's freaking out this is one of the things that people always felt like you know and as we mentioned the video game earlier friday 13th jason has this uncanny ability to show up out of nowhere and all of a sudden Uh, He shows up behind Sandra, and when he was, you know, 20 feet away from the water on the ground, he somehow finds a way to come up behind her, and he, um, and this is probably one of the, I think one of the things, as you mentioned, to ensure that they didn't get an X rating, uh, an X rated or an NC-17 rating on the movie, and this goes, you know, obviously back in the the 80s, and this film was released... um, this film was actually released three days before I was born, as I see this, on May oh, wow. 13th. Yeah, May 13th, 1988. Um, so, as this, those standards obviously were a lot more conservative back in the 80s, as far you know, and even before then. I mean, this movie, honestly, you could show, you probably could show, make this same film today, and it would be released on Sci-Fi without any problem, because obviously our standards of what we considered, you know, whether it's uh whether it's graphic violence or nudity or um you know language is a lot more lenient by far today than it was you know 32 years ago when this film was released but you know he just simply drags her down into the to the lake and he and she drowns to death and that's how Sandra dies. Then we see the next character uh Maddie she's actually going she's looking for Russell and goes out to the woods and she uh, discovers the body. You know, Maddie was the one, she was kind of like the, the quiet kind of nerdy girl. And what happens is she decides to kind of get a makeover because she wants to impress one of the guys and she ends up discovering the body. Um, and as this is happening, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on between the doctor and Tina's mom and uh, about fighting about Tina's treatment, but she sees everything. She finds Jason, she hides in the barn. And as we mentioned to, in order to, you know, not show so much, you know, graphic violence, Um, all you see is essentially Jason um, coming from, he punches a wall that she's hiding behind, grabs her, and then through the other side of the wall, uh, brings a I think it's called a scythe?
0: Yeah, a scythe.
1: Which is essentially, um, I know they use something, you know, they use a lot of this to, in order to trim bells of hay and um, corn and things like that, it's and it's a curve, it's basically a curved knife through her body. Tina ends up discovering her later as she's uh, knelt to a tree. Yeah, and like what I like about this is this shows
0: that you know like a lot of people think that Jason is just you know this idiot and you know doesn't really have much intelligence, but this says otherwise. It he knew she was there and he even deliberately like. Try to throw her off by making her think that he didn't think he saw her and, and walked out of the barn and ended up surprising her.
1: And I think that's one of the things with the silent killers, Jason and Michael, they're very deliberate in everything they do. They definitely know how to throw people off
0: and make you think, oh, I've gotten away, or he doesn't see me, and boom. Then they get you. After Maddie gets killed, Jason then kills Ben and Melissa, who are in their van making out. And Jason ends up he crushes Ben, uh, he crushes
1: his face in.
0: It, her name's Kate,
1: not Melissa. Uh, ben and Kate were in the van that they were having relations. That's right. Um, ben goes to obviously, and this is one of the things as we as we mentioned, like in Scream, the do's and don'ts. Uh, goes to investigate, and Jason comes behind him, literally puts a skull like a skull crusher on his head, and you see some blood trickling out of his forehead, but that's pretty much it. But then, you know, Kate's trying to figure out what was going on from the commotion. She ends up sticking her her head out of the driver's side window. Yeah. And uh, Ben had, like, some type of horn, and Jason takes that horn and shoves it through uh, Kate's left eye and kills her. Um, And then her body is inside of... Her body is found inside of a tree. Yeah, uh, what's awesome
0: about this is, like... uh... One of Kane's characteristics when he's playing Jason, he did this thing where, like, when he went to put the the party horn in her eye, he kind of arched back and like slowly like arched his arm back and then pushed it to her eye. And you'll notice like a lot if you pay attention to Kane as Jason, where he'll do these these certain movements that you can tell that it, that just Kane does. After this, the girl Melissa from earlier, she's trying to use Eddie again. To, to make uh, Nick jealous, and after finding out he was kind of being used, uh, Eddie leaves the party, and then soon after, David, Eddie, and Robin are all killed by Jason as well.
1: So there's a lot going on at one time in this particular scene, and this is where I feel like the everything's kind of getting expedited. There's essentially, I believe it's David and Robin are in one room having sex. Yeah. Then Eddie is... I believe, attempting to try to have sex with uh, Melissa. And what happens is David leaves. He's killed in the kitchen as he gets something to drink with a kitchen knife. Eddie's pissed off at Melissa. He goes downstairs. um, And Jason takes a a hatchet to his neck, kills him. And then Robin starts discovering, uh, discovers a dead body. Jason throws her through a window and then from there, um, Melissa's still alive. Tina is trying to figure out what's going on. We see Tina's mom and the doctor out in the woods. Jason comes up on both of them. Jason has kind of a type of a uh, like a branch trimmer. The doctor, who's such a spineless bastard, puts Tina's mom, Amanda, in front of Jason, and Jason kills her by impelling her to the back. A lot is happening at once in this film with these deaths. At this point, Nicholas starts discovering bodies as Tina's looking, you know, is looking for her mom. He discovers everything. Melissa ends up discovering things as well with him. As Tina's looking for his mom, looking for her mom, Tina stumbles upon the doctor and the doctor, you know, essentially is trying to, you know, get her to leave with him. Jason, uh, Tina finds out essentially what happens, leaves him and, Jason stumbles upon the doctor and has one of the craziest looking weed whackers I've ever seen in my life. So it's, it's like a monster weed whacker that instead of having, you know, get familiar with, you know, with landscaping equipment, a weed whacker is essentially is a cylinder that has a, a very thick plastic string that is, it literally looks like a very hard plastic fishing wire that's used to trim weeds in this term weed whacker. This weed whacker looks like it has a giant circular saw attached to the bottom of it, and he uses a circular saw to kill the doctor.
0: Yeah, this is one of the deaths also that I kinda complain about. Like he, he has like this like you know circular saw like weed whacker thing and all he does is just kinda point it at his at his like stomach and it you know it, and and that's how he kills him. You know, this is a death that you would expect to be really gruesome or like a lot more bloodier, and you don't get that.
1: Yeah, and again, I think this is with a lot of the films that started in the '80s, the horror film genre. I think a lot of it was they wanted to be as creative as possible. It's just, man, the the ratings because everybody knew if you got that NC-17 rating, it was it was basically a death sentence. You weren't going to make money in the movie theaters. And it's, it's kind of crazy when you say that, because if you really think about it, the difference between a rated R film and NC-17 film is that NC-17, you're not allowed to have children. But you can still... In a rated R film, the eight, the minimum age requirement is 17. But if, you, if you're if you an adult, you can take a child into the film with you, with as NC-17, children are not allowed. Who brings your child to see... One of these crazy violent horror films. I would say, I, and I and I preface that by saying, back in the eighties or nineties, I think as we got to two thousands, I think our, um, I don't want to say standards because that sounds bad. I think what we allow our children to see because it's, um, uh, is I think we were more lenient. I mean, I was. I'm trying to do the math in my head. I believe I was fifteen the first time I saw a rated R film. Which was Freddy versus Jason, by myself. You know, I I think the statute of limitation of anything happening to me is already well past. But I snuck into the movie theater. I had my mom buy me a ticket. And I went by myself. But I mean, in the in the eighties, I just don't I don't see how that was such a big issue because I don't think a mom and dad going on date night is going to take junior with them to see Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven. I think they could have done a little bit more. But again, the standards are so conservative back in those days. I mean. You also got to remember, around this time, and I may be off, maybe a year or two. This was when, like Ice T was releasing very graphic music, and N.W.A was releasing very, you know, explicit content. That was, I mean, that was getting crapped on by, you know, Congress and the Senate for being, you know, far too explicit music, and they didn't want to. They didn't want their children to be exposed to that type of music, so you can imagine that they don't want them listening to music that they you wouldn't want you know kids to to see a film like this. And at this point, Tina, Tina is now she's starting as I mentioned earlier she that you know Tina finding uh, the body earlier. Now she's starting to find all the bodies, and she finally comes into contact with Jason. This is what we've been waiting for, the you know the powerful you know telekinetic powers of Tina versus the superhuman, inhuman that is Jason Voorhees. And, you know, they score off, and Tina starts releasing some of her powers in in this film after she gets upset by finding all the dead bodies, finding her mother, who uh, who was killed by Jason, and she goes toe-to-toe with him. And you can see, uh, at this point, Tina is using her powers and uh, essentially uses tree branches to drag Jason into a puddle of water and then ends up, I believe, electrocuting him in that puddle of water. He doesn't keep him down. Yeah, because uh, after
0: she, like, uh, sedues him and fights him off, uh, she ends up running back to the house where Nick and Melissa are, and she's trying to tell, you know, M- Melissa and, every- and Nick everything about everything, but Melissa refuses to believe her that Jason's really out there killing everyone, and we get one of the best parts. Melissa opens the door... And Jason just kills her uh, with an axe uh, straight to the face, and just throws her corpse over the table.
1: Yeah, and this is one of the this is one of the scenes that we saw where um, where you saw it wasn't as graphic, but it was violent. You know, yeah. he I mean, he literally comes straight down with that axe. He grabs Melissa like a you know basically like a trash bag and shoves her probably about fifteen or twenty feet uh, across the room. Over you know, over a television set. Yeah. And then as I mean, through this whole you know, through this whole situation, you know, we're seeing you know, this is where we're starting to see the battle between every between Jason and Tina, where um, you know, Tina's using her powers. She tries to essentially you know, crush Jason's head with his mask. Um, she's throwing objects against him as they're in the house. She she ends up, you know, trying to um uh i can't, i'm trying to get the word uh tries to hang him using electrical wire uh drops him through the ceiling and as they get into the basement you know she uses her powers to hit him with the like with a bunch of nails and then we get into one of the most like another iconic scene in this film with kane hodder and you know with the fire and I'll leave it up to you to talk about you know why this this is such a very powerful scene
0: yeah as you were
1: saying Tina's fighting Jason they're
0: clashing all over the place and at one point she ends up using her her, her abilities and she breaks Jason's mask in half and then we see like this you know decayed you know horrible face of Jason for the one of the first times and uh during this fight if I'm not mistaken that she uses her powers to get cords to kind of
1: hang him, and then he ends up set on fire that way. Yeah, so what happens is she, uh, after she breaks his mask, because what she does is essentially she uses the mask and the straps of the mask to essentially crush Jason's head. The mask breaks under the power, you know, because of the uh, force of it. She breaks a lamp, and as the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a, a ceiling lamp, and then she brings down uh, the wires from the lamp to hang Jason. She drops him, drops Jason. Jason goes through the floor. And then from the floor, um, you know, she gets into the attic. She hits him with a bunch of nails that was in the jar. And then she, the she uses, uh, she opens the furnace with her powers. And essentially the fire in the furnace catches Jason on fire. And, one of the reasons—this is a very powerful scene for a few reasons. Ken Hodder is known as being, like, you know, probably the best fire stuntman in yeah. the business that is horror. Yeah. This was, if I'm not mistaken, the longest fire—
0: Yeah, it set a record for the longest uninterrupted on-screen controlled burn in Hollywood history and he stayed a lot for a record set in 40 seconds.
1: Okay. So the reason why this is so important is if you see his documentary and you you sh- and you're the one who um you know turned around the documentary on shutter to hell him back the King Hodder story earlier in his career when he was starting as a stuntman and he was again, you know, he was known as a fire guy, he was doing an interview and w- with the interviewer and a cameraman to show how a fire stunt works. Um, they did the fire stunt on one day, and because of the, of a wind factor, it didn't look good. They decided to do it again the next day in a different area. And as the story goes, that's told in the Ken Hodder story, is that he didn't uh, he didn't have the material he needed to do the fire stunt, and so um, I think it was a type of uh, a type of flammable type of glue, cement cement glue, and. The lady said, "Oh, I can get you that." So the lady got it for him. The interviewer. They went to a different part of the of the area, which I believe is somewhere in the Reno, Nevada area. I think it's Truckee. Truckee. Uh, Truckee. Um, it's in that vicinity of Washoe County, of Nevada and, and north uh, northeast California, as you're crossing from California to Nevada if you're heading to Reno. And I've actually I've been in this area because my brother used to live in that area. So they go to a different part, which is more of a desert that has no winds. But the problem is that Kane Hodder, there's two issues. One, he never used he never used this type of material before that he was gonna use to do this fire stunt. And the, you know, as some of the stuntmen had said in that in this uh, in his documentary, is you don't do that. You don't try to catch yourself on fire. Uh, with things that you've never used before, and you don't do it without having proper precautions. Well, they also went to a part in the desert of of this area that has no body of water where the day before they did. Well, the fire stuff went wrong, and he suffered second third degree burns. He was uh, I mean, he was hospitalized for months and months in that area and of going to San Francisco uh, to be treated by their burn unit before he made a full recovery. So the fact that he went through all that, and finally when he came back to Hollywood, he continued his, the fire stunts, and in this particular you know movie, had the, the record for 40 seconds of being on fire. For me, is a is just a very memorable, iconic move uh, part of this not just this movie, but his career, because yeah. I can't imagine. Going through what he went through when that fire stunt gone wrong, and then be like, you know what? Let me go back and do that again.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like this really powerful film. They could have easily have gotten somebody else to to do this, but he chose to do this.
1: And if I'm not mistaken, this wasn't the this wasn't the first fire stun he did coming back. He had did other fire stuns prior to that. So yeah. I mean he built I mean, he built himself back up to do this. But, you know, again, if you haven't seen the it's on Shudder to hell and back the story of Kane Hodder, it's it's a little bit long. But, man, it is such a good documentary. And yes. I mean, I gained I gained a lot of I mean, I already like Kane Hodder for his roles in Friday for in Friday. I remember him. He was in Daredevil. He had a small role in Daredevil. I remember him in the Wishmaster. Um, you know, I, I always like I loved his look. I thought he had a great look. You know, just to be in movies without any of the prosthetics, whether it was Jason or um, later as Victor Crawley and and Hatchet. Um, but man, like, you know, I just watching this and the struggles he went through because that stunt got wrong. I just gained a, a huge amount of respect for him uh, um, that went up a lot of levels because of how um, just how good he how good he is as a stuntman in Hollywood. And um, he deserves, I think, a lot of respect a lot of uh, respect for, you know, for what he's done for the horror genre. And, um, but yeah, from there, after that fire stunt that he, that he goes through, um, the, the, the house blows up and Tina thinks, you know, it's, you know, game over, you know, he's essentially, he finally, um, he's finally gone. And then they go to the, um, they go to the docks and obviously, Jason. Jason isn't dead. You know, Jason comes after her, and and from there, you know, as as um as Tina's as Tina's freaked out, um, you know, Jason goes after Nick, uh, knocks him over. Tina is finally able to summon her father, who's stuck in the lake, and you know, Tina's father saves Tina. You know, wraps a chain around wraps a chain around Jason and brings him down to the bottom of Cram Crystal Lake. And, you know, finally the next day the authorities arrive and, as I say, the rest is history for uh, this film. And Tina and Nick, they ride off in uh, in an ambulance together. What well, I was saying earlier was when you talked that the house blew up, that actually did happen. Like, they, they really did
0: blow up a cabin for this movie, which I thought was pretty cool. And uh, uh there's a scene where it's showing the next day there is a fireman and he's going through like the, the wreckage of the house and he finds uh, Jason's like broken mask. Well, that fireman is actually the director, John Carl uh, Buehler. that's his little cameo in the movie which I th- which I thought was pretty interesting and uh that's friday 13th a new blood before we wrap it up uh there's a pretty funny story during the making of this that i'd like to share if you've seen the uh, crystal lake memories documentary that's also on shutter it's it's long it's almost seven hours but it's highly recommended for friday 13th fans they go over every single entry in the franchise and do a lot of talk about a lot of the background uh, stuff that happened behind the scenes it's just a really interesting documentary. Well, during this documentary, Kane Hodder shared a story from the making of this movie where there was a night where they had finished filming. It was like around like two, three in the morning. It was real late where his trailer was. So there was a little trail that he could take just in the woods to get to his trailer. So he didn't feel like taking off any of the, any of the stuff. So in full Jason get up and everything, he just started walking through the woods on the trail of, Toward his trailer. Well, all of a sudden, when he was walking in the trailer, th- the sheriff showed up. And the sheriff stopped stopped him and asked him if he was part of the movie, if he, if he was with the, the movie that was filming. And Kane said that he thought that was a really dumb question, so he didn't answer him. He just did his iconic, where he just kind of stared and did his, his breathing, and he, and he didn't say anything. And then he kind of lunged at the guy, and the guy... Uh, fell back and took off running, and he got the he got the hell out of there. Well, the next day uh, when the, he went back on set, the director told the cast that the sheriff of the town was supposed to show up the last night to check out the movie set, but he never showed up. So, so Kane pretty much scared off the sheriff
1: uh, in full Jason gear. Jr. Do you have any closing remarks? this was the most censored entry into the Friday 13 series. I mean, they tried so hard and I think they did a very good job, you know, doing everything they can to make this film, I would say as potential, you know, with the kills and the storyline, um, you know, keep it to, you know, what they need to do to make it intriguing and, um, you know, make the, make the film good while also toning down the violence. And I think, you know, the way they did things with the editing, um, it's just, there are tricks to, I think for in certain ways to keep, to keep that, as I mentioned, like that brute, you know, brute force of Jason. And there's certain things that can be done to, you know, like I said, to make the kills look cool, but also, you know, tone it down to where you could get that radar rating. You know, it's a, I think it is a good film. I think there are certain parts of it, especially, as we started getting to the kills, like it's just, it starts going rapid fire. Like a lot of things are happening one after the other. I may, have, you know, I may like to see it spread out. I know that's a little bit hard because you're also needing to set up the backstory of, you know, of Tina because you're, you're wanting to show her superpowers. You're obviously foreshadowing, you know, why, you know, what happened to her dad. And that's a part of the film to where, uh, you know her dad still comes to save saves the day at the end of the film. So th- there are things that are done that had to be you know laid the foundation of, of what was to come especially towards the end of the film. Uh, I think though the pacing was just a little bit off for me. It was either I think they had to spread out the kills or potentially had less kills and obviously I think you know who wants less kills? Nobody wants less kills. yeah like I said before, this is my my favorite Friday Thirteenth in the
0: franchise. One that I watch pretty often. You know, it's obviously it's my favorite look of Jason. Um, you know I, I love Kane Kane Hodder as Jason. This is one of my favorite performances of his. And then what I like about most of movies is, is Tina. Tina is pretty much like the reason why I think I like this movie so much. Just because I feel she's a, a great final girl and she she, she does a great job and. I mean, you start to tell with Jason Bourne.
1: You know, the other thing too is this film; it has, I think, it has a strong following. If you look at, if you look at the films, and I will say, you know, budget-wise, you know, as far as box office growth, each film, it, it, I mean, it does, you know, less and less. But this particular film, on a budget of less than three million it did almost 20 million dollars in the US box office at the time that's what, i mean we're talking about it made six times its budget that's a really good investment you know as and payoff you know obviously you know it's a far cry from you know whether what it did back in you know the original the original had a budget in the that in 1980 of less you know i think it was about 600,000 and worldwide it made 60 million but when you're looking at a box office, and one of the reasons why I think people, I think people may not understand, obviously our you know, you and I do, and and, and people that listen to our podcast will, is when you have this type of following, this is like guaranteed money. Like people love the character of Jason, people love the character of Michael Myers, people love the character of Freddie. And so if you put a decent script together and you put a little bit of money into it, like you're going to get a really good investment. It's like it's essentially playing with house money. Like you know you're going to get you know payoff. Even if you look at the the worst, probably, you know, I think it's very easy to say the worst film in the Friday thirteen franchise, Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday, on a three million dollar budget, they still in nineteen ninety three dollars, they still made almost sixteen million dollars. Like you know, that's that's a really good payoff. Yeah. So I I think that's just a testament to how much power Jason has and the following he has. And I think that's important to know, you know, and that's what I've always said, like with these films, whether it's Jason, it's Michael, it's Freddy, it's Chucky. Don't stop making them because you literally we could, you know, with Friday the 13th. And I know it's been a long time. It's been over a decade since they did, you know, the remake, you know, Friday the 13th in 2009 with Derek Mirrors let's just do it again go through the circle again because people love this and the next gen you know you and i you know we're in similar age you know similar age you know we weren't we were either not born or we were very young when these films came out we learned to love the films now it's going to happen for the next generation there's going to be people you know that were born you know, in the last decade or maybe around, you know, in from 2005 that they see these films are like, man, this is, you know, I love Jason. Let's release another one, you know, and you could if you look at, you know, what's happened just in general with a remake of Friday the 13th, a remake of Halloween, a remake of, you know, Child's Play, you're just opening yourself up to another generation to enjoy these films. And a lot, I mean, imagine what this film is and you and I enjoy this as our favorite one. Let's if you literally take the same script and uh, and redo that film today. Imagine potentially how much better this film could be with the advancement of technology and how we don't have that type of censorship that was had 32 years ago. I'm hoping that once this
0: lawsuit's over, that we'll just get you know a bunch of Friday 13th movies. I I really can't wait for us to finally get one and what we've. We had the the remake in 2009. Which I actually enjoyed. I was I was hoping to you know see a sequel out of it, but I guess you know once the lawsuit's over we'll see. That uh, wraps up our review of Friday 13th Part Seven: The New Blood. As I'm sure everybody who listens to this show is already aware, we're part of the Slash and Cast Podcast Network. It's a network full of just amazing shows. We have a lot of friends on the network who who just all have just amazing shows that you should all check out. Follow the network on Twitter at SNC Network. And you can follow us at Trick or Treat Pod on Twitter. Come back next week when we're going to be reviewing one of Jr's favorite movies and when he picked out, uh, Tr- uh, Tremors, a movie I'm pretty excited about, uh, uh, revisiting because I don't think I've seen it in a few years.
1: <laughs> this is a film where, if you haven't seen Tremors, please watch it before we get to the review. It was released um it, it over this year um it has has been thirty years. It was released in January nineteen ninety. It stars Kevin Bacon. As, Val- as valent as uh, valentine mckee fred Ward as earl bassett finn carter as ronda lebec uh the star of the entire franchise of trimmers michael gross as burt gummer also has reba mcintyre as his wife uh heather gummer it's this is like a it's a slapstick uh you know com horror comedy like and i don't even i don't even like calling it horror because to me like it's not a horror film. It's more of like a science fiction comedy, you know, cause we're talking about, um, you know, giant worms that live under the ground. It, there's a lot of things that happen in this film. That's just completely crazy. This film was heavily censored as well, not for violence or, um, or gore, but because of, um, foul language, they had to, um, they had to release it. They had to cut it down because they didn't want this film to be rated R. They wanted to be PG-13. Um, and just if when you see this film, there are certain parts, and I, you know, and I don't like cursing when I don't have to, but there's certain parts where you where you think you're gonna hear the words motherfucker, and you don't. You hear something else, and I don't want to say what it is. I want you to hear it for yourself as it comes naturally. It's just comedy. I think Kevin Bacon. Fred Ward, uh, Michael Gross, they do such a great job in, in this film that makes it, to me, have amazing replay value. It didn't do good in the box office. So I'll just you know put it that like um, it's because it's a it's a goofball film. I think if anything, I mean, when this film came out, I was I wasn't even two years old yet. I had end up watching this film in the mid 90s to late 90s with my brother I do think it got, you know, I think it, it gained a huge cult following though, and and obviously it's proof because there's been, you know, I think seven sequels that came from it. But I mean, this this movie got a huge replay because of video purchases and rentals, and television films, uh, and, and television um, replay, and I think that's what gained it the cult following to where they ended up releasing, um, you know. Tremors 2 but especially you know all the sequels that came after that because I think Trimmer 2 was the only one that was released in the movie theater I think everything after that was released direct to, to DVD and you know and one day uh, Kyle we're gonna we really need to have a talk about not horror but we need to get all of our friends together to talk about how movies and the way movies are uh, released and how it's changed over the time and how you know, movies that were, were game called followings potentially are not having that anymore. Like you know, looking at this film, and I would say the same thing. You know, with some of the another one, and again, I go off way to the week, way too far into the week to go off topic. A movie that I watched growing up as a kid was Willy Wonka. Willy Wonka did not do good in the box office. It 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 did really bad. But back in the eighties, it got huge replay value. On television and rental, and it got it gained a, a cult following that made it a popular film. Another movie that I can think of off off top of my head is like The Big Lebowski. Trimmers is one of these films. Now that we don't have video stores like Blockbuster or my neighborhood was warehouse movies. Um, Man, is like is cult films even a, a thing anymore? Like I think that's something that'd be interesting for all you know, you and I and the girls at Scream Queens and our and uh dead in Santa Carla and some of our friends at Slash and and cast could you know have some talk about cult films, and you know is that even a thing anymore because of you know the loss of movie theaters? I know we have, I know we have um, Redbox, but that's not the same as movie theaters. Redbox only carries you know. So many films, and a lot of it, they only carry big films like that are released, like whether it's Toy Story or Wonder Woman. You know, you probably wouldn't have films like Trimmers that were released in Redbox, or at least not at least not widespread, you know, release like films did in movie theaters. Because excuse me, in movie rental stores, because every rental store was given at least one film because you had unlimited shelf space. Whereas in Redbox machines, you only have so much shelf space and you're probably only going to carry in your machine for a period of time what you think is going to have, it's going to attract customers. I mean, on a, as, and I'll finish up with this thing. If you look at what you and I love, wrestling, wrestling had videotapes in movie rental places eight to ten years. You can go back. I remember in 2002, renting. WCW Halloween Havoc from 1991. It had been in the movie. It had been on the shelves for a decade. Like, you know, that's how long the shelf life some some movies had in movie rental places that you don't see anymore.
0: That's an interesting thing for us all to
1: get together and talk
0: about. Now that you bring that up, like, I, I don't really know if there really is what you consider cult films anymore. That's interesting. We'll have to talk about that sometime. As we wrap this up, uh, I hate to do it because I always give... The movies perfect scores, but uh, I give this, I give it four and a half hockey mask out of five. You
1: know what? I'm I'm going to give it three and a half. Okay. And the the reason I this film, I think, and we'll have this discussion another day because we already took up too much of our listeners' times. But I give it because of replay value and being enjoyable. And I think there's you know that's one of the things is. Oh, that I learned from one of one of our friends with the Russell Joy, um, um, shout out to my you know my good boy Floyd Johnson, is that there is instead of looking at things as is this movie great or is this thing great is is it enjoyable? And I there is a lot of things in this film that I enjoy. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a good film. I think it has a lot of great things about it, um, as such as some of the kills. I love the dynamic of Tina versus Jason, like, a lot. Like, that's why this film is my favorite Friday the 13th film. Um, and so I think that's the reason why, like, I wanted to give it a favorable score because I enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, it's, it's tough for me to put it up there with, you know, some of the other ones we gave Fives to, or four and a half to like Scream or, or Halloween, because to me, those are great films. You know, everything about those films are great. This one, though, I did enjoy. And I think if you if you put on this film and you take it for what it is, you will find enjoyment out of it, especially as we as when this drops, it's going to re- drop on Friday the 13th, which is a perfect time to watch every Friday the 13th film. Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
0: Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying by, like, it's, you know, the, the, there's a lot of things you really like, but there's also some things that really aren't that great. But for me, I don't know, it, it's it's my favorite. And uh, as much as I'd like to give it a perfect tour, I, I just can't because, you know, there is still some some issues with it here and there. Once again, uh, thank everyone for uh, joining us on this one. And tune in next week. We talk about trimmers. Just some last minute plugs. Uh, as we said before, we're on the Slashcast Podcast Network. Make sure you check out all the other shows. They're just wonderful people. And also, we want to just give a special thanks and shout out to our editor, uh, Carmen Childers, who edits all of our podcast episodes and makes us just sound wonderful. He does an amazing job, and I'm just uh, so grateful for everything, everything he does for us. Uh, check him out at uh, carmenchildersavtech.com or on Twitter at carmenschilders.com this will wrap this up. We hope everyone has a good day. Check out all those other shows. Uh, have a good day, stay safe out there and stay creepy. And with that, we must bid you adieu. Goodbye. And good night. Bang.